Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 15th of May 2013. For newcomers, make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll see a bunch of sites listed there. These are all the official sites that I have, and they all carry audios for free downloads going back quite a few years. And they all carry transcripts in English for print-up as well of many of the talks I've given over the years. And you can also go into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. And I always remind the audience that you bring me to you because I don't bring on uh, sponsors or, or as, as guests basically to sell you things. I don't take money from advertisers at all. And I depend upon you, the people, to keep me ticking along because what I'm doing is not some sort of big corp- uh, corporation or job sort of thing, a big business. It's simply me as an individual who came out a while back realizing that people had to start telling the truth about what was really happening in the world. Because every country at that time was, was being forced, in a sense, and led to naval gaze rather than look at the whole world situation as global system, who was behind it, what was happening, why things were happening, and so on. Well-documented stuff, but not mentioned by the mainstream. And so I just came out to tell the people what was really behind it all, and the big foundations that set up over a hundred years ago to bring in this very system. And they're not finished with it all yet, either. They've got a long ways to go. And the big shake-ups across the world, even the wars that are going on, it's all part of the same system of standardizing the whole planet under one system. So help yourself to the archive section at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Remember, too, you can buy the books and discs I have at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders in the post office, or you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. And straight donations are always welcome as the, the, the currencies of the world all get devalued at the same time. And, of course, this is all part of the plan, too, to bring in what they call austerity. And without crisis creation and bringing the, the, the solution to it, they can't make it happen. They've got to cause crisis after crisis because they've got quite a lot to do yet with the money system and completely put it under one world system altogether. That's the whole goal of all this crisis that's going on. And get you to two, get you to start using all your extra cash to, to pay for your very existence. In other words, essential things only for fuel, uh, for heating and uh, cooking and so on and extra taxes on all energy that you use, including the stuff that's, that you, you purchase, because everything takes energy to create and make, and you'll be taxed for all of that too. That's where all your extra cash will go uh, to support the system, and they call it an austerity system. And it's all well underway. And it's all, again, out of our hands completely, remember, because under all the farce of democracy, none of this stuff is mentioned to the public. All the international trade deals that are going on, uh, we're never ever uh, asked about what we think about it or even how we'd even vote for it, never mind that. That'll never happen. But of course, 
Because the big plan, of course, is that free trade system, they call it, which is not free trade at all. It's really corporate ones only, the guys who are in the big businesses, the big clubs themselves. And uh, these are the guys who get the contracts to trade across the water, and they don't have to pay taxes to export or import stuff. That's what free trade's all about. And uh, it keeps all the little guys out. The future is to have no small businesses at all. And even when Thatcher was in, she talked about that coming system because she knew it too. And she really upped the taxes on all small businesses, put thousands of them out of business altogether because they couldn't spend half the day filling in forms for the government. So what we're living through is an agenda and a big, big plan. And, of course, it's being forced down everybody's throat, whether they like it or not. Uh, the youngsters are indoctrinated in school to, to, for the system that they're born into and how it will change in their lifetime. They're already pre-programmed for all the changes that they will see in their lifetime because you're living, as I say, through a script written in advance. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and I've mentioned over the years ad nauseum to do with free trade deals and so on, going through the NAFTA deals. Before that we had the Free Trade Association for Canada and the US, Mexico and it's expanded into NAFTA and it's still ongoing because between 2005, 2010, uh, so many meetings were done every year uh, and treaties drawn up to further integrate the North American continent basically, actually into the whole continent eventually, that's what they hope to get eventually but they've got the trouble with the brick countries at the moment, but it might not be trouble at all because they'll probably merge with the same system down the road. It's all worked out in advance and you understand there's big big think tanks working on all of these problems all the time, 24 hours a day basically and, uh, and, and they'll get what they want down the road, that's how the world is really run in every aspect of society and social problems and trade problems and all the rest of it it's all worked out way in advance. Nothing's left to chance. Anything that won't happen is speed it up by having wars and things like that. And it happens much, much quicker. Now, again, too, uh, free trade is an old, old concept. Uh, John Dee, in fact, in Britain, was the first guy to bring it out. Uh, this, whole, uh, this whole idea of free trade. And using what he called, he termed it the coin brightish. It's for, for British and it said the British Empire. And the whole idea at that time was to use the British concept, which wasn't British at all. It was just a clique that moved into London, and, and they were going to use this empire they were creating to take over a world system. And the idea is that anyone who would join the free trade system would have to integrate their system with the same kind of politics or political group or government system that ran Britain from London. That was partly the deal. It still is today. And then we find the same thing going down through the centuries since. And it was brought up again in the 1800s with uh, Cecil Rhodes uh, Foundation that they left behind him with Lord Rothschild as his partner. And they merged with that Lord Alfred Milner group that also caused different wars, by the way. It's well documented by their own historian, Carl Quigley, and to make things happen. And they merged together and formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which then formed the big, big foundations, tax-free foundations, under the guise of philanthropy. Meanwhile, every politician who's anybody at all, any writer who's anybody at all, anybody who's anybody at all in power uh, is a member of it in Britain and the British Empire. And uh, every country in the British Empire has a division 
belonging to this. And they put in the prime ministers, they select them. There's always left wing and right wing, doesn't matter. They're always members of the same institution. And across the waters, they set up the Council on Foreign Relations in the U.S. and in other countries as well. So they've been on the go for a 100 years with this plan for free trade and a planned society where experts will rule over the public down the road once they wean you off the idea of democracy and you'll be run in a, a scientific fashion, you see. So that's what's all going ahead. In the meantime, too, they, they had to dehumanize the public and destroy certain cultures. That's what the massive immigration was for first world countries because certain groups thought that another, they might turn into fascists, basically, or, or Nazi, as they called it, at the time after World War II. And so they drafted up agreements to the United Nations to start to multiculturalize these countries. That's all part of it, too. Remember, too, free trade also incorporates free trade of goods and labor across all borders. And that's, that's also part of it as well. But at the moment, the first idea, and Karl Marx talked about it as well, for those who wonder if it's a right-wing thing or a left-wing thing, they work together, folks. There's one group owns both sides, and that's how you get changes made. You can't get change if there's no opposing group. Opposing group brings out the change into the public sphere and the arguments and so on, and then they have their, their basically their conclusion out of it, or their, they merge together and compromise into what they wanted anyway, the thesis idea. So the free trade idea is going on. And Karl Marx started with, uh, first of all, setting up a free trade zone in Europe, then um, the Americas, and then the Far Eastern Pacific Rim countries. And then the Royal Institute of International Affairs has been working on that for an awful, awful long time. Been awfully successful too. In fact, their division in the US, CFR, uh, also drafted up the, the NAFTA agreement for the government to sign. So private organizations run the world. Now, um, now that they've got the European group into it, all in under one big super parliament, a Soviet-type system because it's not democratic, uh, they want to now merge the Americas in with Europe, you see, even though they haven't quite finished to the public's point of view anyway, but to the politicians' point of view, they are finished with it pretty well. So it says... In this article here, uh, British Prime Minister David Cameron Monday said a proposed free trade agreement between the European Union and the United States should cover all sectors. And that's awfully important, should cover all sectors. Drawing a contrast with France, which wants to leave out sensitive cultural industries. And it says to realize the huge benefits this deal could bring with, uh, will take ambition and political will. It means everything is on the table. And that's all your national policies. Because once you go into this free trade, it's, it's not just free trade. Everything in your legal system revolves around commerce. Even the, the, the penalty for murder, uh, whatever it is in your country, revolves around the cost of putting a person, uh, killing a person. That person could be a producer, taxpayer, and all the rest of it. So that's why they, that's how they come to their sentencing for the person who did it. And things like that. So it says that means everything's on the table, even the difficult issues and no exceptions. And Cameron said at a White House news conference with President Barack Obama, France last month threatened to block the proposed free trade talks on its cultural sectors such as television and radio were excluded from the agreement. So even all the cultural, whatever the cultures at the present time, which is all changing in the West, of course, um, whatever it happens to be, has to be put on the table and that means you can have a lot of multicultural advertising and programming and things like that. That's all part of it as well. 
This is a European, and also your education systems, it's with different histories and all that. It says France last month threatened to block the, the free trade agreement and so on, unless they, they kept their cultural parts. The European Parliament's influential trade committee voted a week later to leave all of Europe's cultural and audiovisual services out of the negotiations due to start July, a decision that will shape the negotiating mandate to be agreed on by trade ministers from the EU's 27 member states. And since the Motion Picture Association of America, in comments uh, filed last week with the U.S. Trade Reps Office, urged the U.S. not to agree to any upfront blanket sectoral exclusions, but acknowledged EU sensitivities on the issue and said there were limits to what it expected from the talks. So I can imagine Hollywood will still want to stay Hollywood and not to be flooded in with other cultures taking over and putting out other information or types of movies or cultural movies and stuff like that. And it says, we've recognized the importance of cultural diversity. Awfully important article is because you could understand what they're really talking about here. And the contribution the audiovisual sector makes to achieve that goal. We want in particular to make clear we're not calling into question existing EU or national financial support measures and mechanisms for the audiovisual sector, the industry group said. Now, it's awfully important that part too to do with money because once you join this new union, uh, you're closer to the Bank for International Settlements running all, completely all of the central banks and then demanding from the US and Canada bail out money as they have done for, and they can do now forever on the treaties treat made from the, the, the European countries. So we'll all be financing all the other countries too as, as they go in the hole. And it says Britain's future is in the EU. Britain, which is in the midst of a national debate over whether to stay in the EU, is hosting the annual summit meeting of the Group of Eight, leading industrial economies next month in Northern Ireland. Now, the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, set up all these groups of eight and G20s and G10s and all the, all the other ones. Again, it's not included in anybody's charters or rights or anything like that, or, or constitutions. And so private groups set up all these clubs that all your supposed elected representatives belong to. And send, now they're supranational. They're not dealing with national problems, although everything they do will affect and cause national problems and shake-ups. And the public have never been asked about it, what they think about it, in any country involved. Not one has been asked. So, I mean, I, I always say that see, in politics as we know it, and, and democracy and the type of government system, it, it is antique. It was bypassed a long, long time ago. It says that gives Cameron a high-profile platform to help shape the negotiating mandate for the talks with the U.S. and to assure up support in Britain for the remaining in the EU. Leading EU states, Germany, France and Italy are also members of the G8, along with Japan, Russia and Canada. The presence of the European Commission and the European Council, two EU executive branch institutions, also attend G8 summits. President Obama, he says, and I have both championed a free trade deal between the European Union and the United States, and it's a chance now to get the process launched in time for the G8. So the next five weeks are crucial, Cameron said. And he's promised to renegotiate Britain's relationship with the EU and hold a referendum on membership if he wins the next election in 2015. And Obama, of course, is, uh, he's already told Cameron, because uh, his boss has told him to tell Cameron, uh, that uh, you better stay in the EU because a lot of folk are wanting a referendum to get out of the EU because it's been the worst dis- one of the worst disasters they've ever done for the country and many other countries involved. But that doesn't matter because it's a massive agenda. And you understand these institutions are sworn to make all this happen over a 100 years ago, generation after generation. 
to make this happen. And I've never ever seen them change their minds when it comes to things like this. Never ever. Uh, it doesn't matter how ridiculous it becomes, they will bankrupt us all, destroy us all in the process to make it happen. And there's big powers and there's different groups involved uh, to make all this happen too. Each one trying to vie for power for their own particular people to be on top. Also, too, and on the table, uh, it mentions Ontario is, is talking about this big agreement. It says, the Ontario government wants the drug patents taken out of the Canada-EU deal. So the online news uh, journal iPolitics.ca reports it's more, than, uh, more in the way of a Canada-European union, union trade and investment deal than a disagreement over beef and cheese. Contrary to reports earlier this week, uh, that the only remaining hurdle in the CETA, Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement, talks is how much Canadian meat Europe is willing to import tariff-free and for how much European cheese heading the other way. There's more to it than just that. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're cutting through the matrix talking about uh, the free trade agreement with the Americas basically and Europe and all the things are on the table. Everything's on the table and it's going to affect a lot of people in many, many ways. But it talks also about the, the drug problems, the drugs for medical drugs and how it's going to affect your insurance and so on and the cost of uh, your pharmaceutical drugs because all that's on the table as well. And some of the big corporations want to ban a lot of the generic drugs that Ontario and other provinces in Canada are using uh, under the guise of intellectual property rights and so on. So there's a lot of things going to change and it could put up the costs of just uh, just uh, pharmacy, pharmacy drugs to, from one in three billion alone and it's in Ontario if they get their way and uh, drop all the, 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 the various basic stuff that Canada has in generic standards. India already turned it down as well because they're pushing them for the same thing. So that's only one area. There's many, many areas. Everything is involved, all your trade, all your the produce and so on. It's all on the table. And then you'll be competing with European uh, companies that are heavily subsidized too to bring their stuff into to Americas and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot involved in it all, and we have no say in it at all. As I said, it's a private organization, all the G8s. The World Trade Organization that was set up by the Royal Institute of International Affairs decides where all the trade goes. They're basically the, the star chamber court, and they're already working, and they decide what, what is what, and that's simple as that. The public have no input whatsoever to any of this. And eventually, of course, they want to have regions, you see. Karl Marx talked about it. Uh, so did the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They wanted to have regions set up. Uh, where, the, and this is what, of course, you're a trade region, and eventually those regions have one parliament working them. So eventually, uh, you, you become like a parliament of Britain. You're a minor provincial parliament with not much power compared to the big one in the EU parliament. And the same thing will happen with Americas. Then when they merge them, have another parliament on the go, and then you'll be under a super world parliament. That's a whole uh, thing was spelled out long before your grandparents were born. And that's how the world is really run. Now, an article, too, from the activist post is interesting. It says that U.S. business owners can now be fined and imprisoned if they support boycotting Israel for trade. It's actually a trade deal. And I'll put that up tonight, too, to see how it actually works. 
But uh, it's amazing. As I said, everybody's at it to get their own way. And law, of course, is the greatest way to get your own way. And the threat of uh, fine or imprisonment is a big, big deterrent for anything at all. And also, it's interesting because I mentioned before that under this, this, this organization that runs the world, we are all simply economic units. And economic units was, we're, we're talking, they talked about this in many, many books from the boys who helped to set up this global system, including, uh, uh, Julian Huxley, the brother of, of Aldo Huxley. And he was into family planning, uh, in other words, abortion across the world, big time. And he wanted to bring down all the, all the, the useless eaters, basically, along with Bertrand Russell. And he said we'll have to dehumanize the public to an extent and, and drop them off this, this pedestal of being the most supreme being on the planet that Christianity gave a lot of folk in the West. It gave you a status of value that people couldn't touch so easily, you know, the feudal overlords. And, of course, we're right back to where we started now in the old pagan days because now we have no value at all. And we're accepting it quite easily with all the, the police killings in the U.S. and things like that are going on with martial law everywhere. We have no rights, etc. We're being taught that all the time. Also, what we see about the mass abortions, we accept that without problem. It doesn't shock anybody. Uh, even with the scandals that break out with uh, the Gosnell case and others like him, it doesn't bother anybody at all these days. We're being dehumanized to accept the fact that we are not worth much at all. Depends on your social standing, you see. We see it too in hospital treatment, hospital care in different countries, and how they, they grade you for, for resuscitation or better treatment or so on, or simply for, for death. And, of course, we now accept euthanasia as they push across the planet. That all was discussed a long, long time ago to, to get rid of the surplus population. The United Nations said, too, that a good global citizen is both a producer and a consumer. When you retire, you're a consumer, you're not producing. So, therefore, you're not a good uh, citizen anymore. In other words, you're useless. And we've seen the moves now to, to steal money from the pensioners. They don't want you. They want you to pay in all your life, but they don't want you to live long enough to claim any of it. Government's got big things to do, like hand it off and, and help prop up big corporations, things like that. So it says Vermont becomes the fourth U.S. state to permit euthanasia. The House of Reps of the U.S. state of Vermont passed a bill allowing euthanasia for the terminally ill patients, reported local media Tuesday. Now that's a foot in the door. For terminally ill, and then it'll expand like it did in Holland for those who simply are deemed unfit to live and are, are a bit senile or or whatever, you know, or even depressed. By the way, people who say, "Oh, I'm, I'm awfully depressed," and then they'll sum up your social standing, say, "Oh well, we won't miss this character," and bang, off you go. Now, Britain also has just passed a one two. I put one in, I should say to do with two doctors signing off that uh, you should be terminated. I'll put that one up tonight too. All these articles, I'll put the links up, remember, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the broadcast. Now, we're running by deceit in, in many, many different areas. And it's all management perception. Management perception often can make you mad in a sense. I mean, if you believe something that's completely untrue and you're taught to believe it like a religion, then technically you're mad. And brainwashing does that very, very well. So if when you deny your own sensibilities and perceptions, uh, then there's something wrong with you. And I'll touch on that when I come back, as they have snow in May in Devon and Cornwall in England, because there's global warming. Back with more after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix and talking about global warming and, and all that nonsense because there's a big agenda behind it. That's why they pushed it in the far left, too, because they think there's going to be social justice comes out of it for other people's more redistribution of wealth across the world, all that kind of stuff. Because under the guise of global warming and uh, climate change, they want to call it climate change now, they can't quite get, quite get the warming thing going, then uh, they, they say that... Um, They'll have to control our lives, the way we live completely from birth to death. And, of course, the carbon taxes are coming out of it, massive taxation, which left hopes some of it will go to the third world countries and things like that. And, of course, it doesn't go to them at all because if they had to set up anything in a third world country, it's simply a factory owned by international corporations for cheap labor. That's what they do with it all. And the big boys at the top want the carbon uh, credits so they can trade these credits just like you know sports cards and make a killing off it, which some of them are already doing. But it talks here in this article about snow hitting Devon and Cornwall, England, and and blizzards uh, with 65 mile per hour winds at the same time. I'll put this link up tonight to show you too. But again, it's just everything is a farce. And when you're brainwashed by a massive movement, even brainwashing them in school, uh, it's easy to do in, in school uh, with the selective film clips, things like that. Um, you can make them believe anything at all. And they really want a generation to believe all this stuff, to give up all their power for any decisions in their own personal lives to be left to government agencies and big governments and international uh, organizations. Now, I'll go to the it's a caller hanging on from California. It's Leaf in California. Are you there, Leaf? Yes, I am. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you that's a bit off topic. I hope you don't mind, but yeah. I understand that most of the religiousness and other uh, legends are based on the, the progression of the Zodiac, correct? Uh, there's no doubt at all that, that, that uh, a lot of them are in some ways, or some of them are also put into the Zodiac once the religion was established. Yeah. Well, you know, my question about that is, um, do the elite who gave us those stories assign any real uh, spiritual importance to the Zodiac, or is that just, I mean, why did they base it on that? Well, I'll tell you why they did it, because... Um, if you go back into ancient Egypt, for example, you, you'll find that, um, that what they did uh, with certain uh, high kings, kings that made big changes, big pharaohs, made big changes and were powerful, they would create their dynasties. And the first one, if they were born under a particular sign, like Ramesses, were, it was under the Ram Ares, you see. And so that's why you had the, all the, 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 the avenue of Rams. For, for, for that family and dynasty that came along. So these named themselves after the particular constellation that was dominant in the sky at that time. And other, then later on, what they did was, um, later on, the, uh, there's a story in it. I mean, when the scorpion, uh, bites, uh, of course, yeah, in, the, in the fall, uh, then the great hero is slain and he's killed. He dies off into the winter and then he rises again uh, after midwinter's day. So uh, this is all written into the stars, of course, ancient. And, and um, what they did too, the, the secret societies, uh, they also used all of this stuff under the guise of mysticism. But really, they, they would decide their plans and they would wrap it up in, in cosmic terminology, their actual plans with a timetable in it. And they would use symbols of the zodiac for particular events that were to take place or revolutions and, and things like that. 
So it's been used for many purposes down through the ages. Yeah. Hello? Aquarius. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, so with the age of Aquarius, for instance, uh, when we get the androgynous dance. That's right. And Aquarius was to be an androgynous man who also holds the, the, the pool of life and the jug, you see, the water of life. And you can also say that's like the gene pool, you might say. And uh, out comes the, the new man, you know, the new man. This was the age of Aquarius that was supposed, everything was to change. Uh, that's why they also call it the century of change in academia. The 21st century is where all their big long ambitions come to fruition and are implemented and working by the end of the 21st century. Yeah. That's probably one of the biggest barriers people have to understanding of this is just realizing that it's been planned for that long. Oh, it has. That's absolutely right. Uh, it's incredible. But when you go back into the even the ancient um, uh, philosophers from Greece, they all studied in Egypt, and they all had to be initiated into the craft in Egypt. Uh, Plato talks about it. His uncle, long before him, talks about it too. He, they all went there to get initiated. And then after Egypt, they had to go to uh, uh, the Levant area to go to another mystery school, and then to India to complete their education. And that was a very old thing. Before that, too, you had Pythagoras, who, uh, when he was sent back, what they often did from Egypt, Egypt actually exported trained revolutionaries. And Pythagoras was a revolutionary that trained in Egypt, and he went back to, to, into his area to start up his own school. And they taught youngsters, especially, to become revolutionaries. Um, you find the same thing with Socrates. Socrates started to, he was actually fine or charged with uh, trying to change the young, destroy the young uh, by bending their minds, making them turn against their parents. Uh, he also taught even young women to, to, to be spies, and they would go in and marry the nobility and try to influence their policies and change their policies. So that was really the charge against Socrates, and they did it in other countries too. So revolutionary uh, uh, attitudes are, are very old and all connected to mystery religions. Right up to Madame Blavatsky, you'll find where um, she also talked about the Zodiac and, and the time of uh, Aquarius uh, and so on. And then the song came out, of course, in the 1960s, the age of Aquarius, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, uh, with lots of it in that peace understanding, all this lovely, lovely stuff, which, of course, doesn't talk about all the ethnic conflicts that you have in different countries now. Uh, as we get to this lonely peace. So it's all to do with a, a planned society where experts rule. They call themselves philosopher kings, don't forget that. Uh, benevolent dictators. This is what they're, they're talking Technocracy itself, technocrats, there's actually a science called technocracy, where, where experts would rule the world. Well, that's all being implemented right now, you see. And eventually they'll do away with even the pretense of democracy. That's all it is at the moment, it's a pretense. So it's being implemented, this whole century of change, or age of Aquarius, and they'll make it happen, come hell or high water, even if it kills us all off. They're fanatical about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Alan, do the boys instead the top, the lazy boys, you call them, uh-huh. do yeah. they believe that they've lived before and they live again? Is that how they're able to do uh, some, 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 some do, but they've had incredible training, um, from generations of the high 
uh, it's generally called loosely Freemasonry. There's many camps of masonry, you know, uh, but they get to higher orders outside the main um, the main lodges, and and these guys are multi generational uh, Freemasons. Freemasons, remember, are always at the forefront of all revolutions. Even Trotsky talked about it. He joined it uh, and in prison at one point. And he actually, when he died, he was writing, he said it was the biggest compilation of Masonic writings ever ever written. Uh, and he was writing himself. He was so enthralled by its revolutionary aspects of it. Yeah. And, and Socrates was basically like a Trotsky or a Lenin figure. I mean, in college, when I read Plato's Apology, it's supposed to be the persecution and it's, uh, you know, an injustice. But he was actually corrupting the youth, wasn't he? That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then well, thank you very much. Thanks for calling. And, uh, yeah, the world is nothing like it seems, but uh, uh, people should start to wonder why the left wing is so heavily, heavily funded by international bankers. It was international bankers, well documented in the history books, that funded Jacob Schiff and all the rest of them, Kuhn Roman Company, that funded the, 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 the revolution in Russia, the Bolshevik Revolution. In fact, they trained many of them and sent these immigrants back from New York to, to fight in, in Russia. And they became the, the first Politburo and so on. And a lot of them stayed on there and, and were intergenerational rulers of Russia. And they became the multi-billionaires that you're always reading about today. Anyway, getting back to this article here, the brainwashing to do with global warming is well underway, and come hell or high water, uh, or come uh, toasting, they ain't going to mention, they ain't going to make us believe, or let us believe, they're actually being cooked or, or, or frozen. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So you're, you're taught to deny your sensibilities and perceptions, and go with what they tell you, that the world is warming, even though we've got nothing but snow. And even in Canada, where I'm living right now, it's down to the freezing mark. It's night, most nights now. And this is me. That's brainwashing for you. It works well. And these guys literally will do anything it takes to make you deny your own perceptions. And you won't believe your freezing skin. Yep. Now, also, tonight I'll put up some articles to do with the price fixing, which is nothing new, uh, with the big corporations that work in cartels to do with gasoline and so on. In Britain, they call it petrol. It says petrol price fixers will face full force of the law. Big joke. Says the energy minister as his questions mount about the how limp-wristed lettuce leaf inquiry gave oil industry a clean bill of health. And the European Commission launched an inquiry into the price manipulation and the fuel prices have been driven up at the pumps for millions of motorists. Commission suspected firms had colluded in reporting distorted prices. And it says here that they've been uh, dist plundering the public for at least 10 years. That's just a lot longer than that. And, if, and the companies involved are BP, Shell, and all the biggies, because they all work together. Mind you, all the top shareholders of the same little clique. It says, oil executives caught fixing the price of gasoline will face the full force of the law. Oh, yeah. And the European Commission investors raided the office of several major oil companies yesterday as it launched a far-reaching probe into price manipulation claims which date back a decade but members of Parliament are furious that the move came just months after a limp-wristed inquiry by the Office of Fair Trading, which gave the industry a clean bill of health. Well, they're all paid off. So I'll put this one up tonight, too. There's nothing nearly new in it, but we have the same thing in Canada and elsewhere. And also to do with uh, this article here, Minority Report Policing Comes to Britain, like the movie. 
the police force has become the first to adopt minority report style crime fighting by using technology to predict where offences take place, it says. It's all computerised. And the Kent police are using the software to analyse historic offending and criminal behaviour to try and pinpoint where crimes will happen next. So an echo of the Tom Cruise science fiction film Minority Report in which pre-crime units use psychics to predict future criminals and arrest them before they have even offended. Now I'll also put up tonight too along with this article another one to do with GIRFEC, this, this organisation that's running Britain, especially Scotland. I think Sarkozy helped push it. He had nothing to do with Scotland, but understand there's no nations anymore. Everything's international. And what they want to do is literally test every youngster all through your life, to your, and then it's an adult too till you die. Uh, and lifelong education, they call it, an observation by the state for every single person born. It's in effect now. And I'll put an article tonight to do with GIRFEC. This is what they call the program where they nurture you throughout your life and make sure they're part of the community, etc., etc. Now, that's exactly what tyrannies wanted all down through the ages. This is what they want today, in fact, is everyone being standardized exactly the same with no personal opinion that's outside the box. You must all agree and all have the same opinions and be little robots like the Stepford Wives. This is, this is here, folks. It's all here. Again, all planned out a long, long time ago before we were even thought of for a gleam in your dad's eye. That's how it really is. That's how the world works. Also to do with euthanasia, I've mentioned that, that Britain's also following the U.S. and they're pushing uh, the crisis card again. Cost crisis, then say, what's the solution? Well, we'll bring in euthanasia. This helps. This is this, pre, this uh, preceded this article. It says, National Health Service will collapse if the elderly bed blocking continues. There's too many elderly folk, you see. And it says, if they can't get them out of the hospitals, the hospital system's going to collapse. So they're blaming the old folks. So let's, let's euthanize them. This person, the lot euthanize them. Does anybody care out there? Of course, most of you don't. And it says, Mr. Lamb, the care minister, what, it's like doublespeak, the Ministry of Love, isn't it? Said Britain's system of health and social care is becoming dysfunctional and could buckle under the pressure. And radical, Mr. Radical, radical she's admitted to the way it operates, it says. He should his warning amid growing concerns that accident emergency departments and ambulance services are failing to cope with rising numbers of patients forced to endure long ways. One of Britain's most senior A&E doctors said units had begun to feel like war zones, while the head of the NHS and social care watchdog said the services were out of control. Now, it's all to do with economy, economics, and and you being economic capital, which at a certain age, you're a burden, and they don't want to put out any money on you. Even though you've been paying taxes all your life for it, they don't want to give you anything back in return, unless you're a special person with special standing in the community, meaning you're important to the system. This is how it really is in this system. We shouldn't be shocked, you see. But we've all been brainwashed to see it in a different way. Like a Disneyland. But I'll put this up tonight. And also this article to do with um, <laughs> the big boys, the big corporations going after the food of the world, as you know. And we're in a bad state when we're already or halfway to owning the water, the fresh water of the world. Uh, the gas of the world for fuel, oil, and all the rest of it, and now they're going for your food as well. But now they're doing the same thing across other countries too, especially in Mexico, that tried to keep out the GM food from Monsanto and others. 
and they're losing. It says here, in the 2011 action thriller, unknown scientists are persecuted by the biotech industry because they plan to open release of a drought and pest-resistant strain of maize that could help eradicate world hunger. Whatever they do, even making brain chips, it's always to help the, the paralyzed and stuff. They always use the same tactic, don't they? Even in the movies. So there are certain parallels with the situation today in Mexico, the birthplace of maize, which is at the center of the global fight to protect the crop's diversity from the onslaught of genetically modified varieties. It's the first time in history that one of the most important harvests in the world is threatened in its center of diversity, says Pat Mooney, the head of the action group in erosion technology and concentration. It says, if we let the companies win, there'll be no chance to defend them in other parts of the world. What's happening here is of key importance for the rest of the planet. And it goes into the fact that, you see, food is a necessity. Uh, do you have to be told that, folks? Do you, do you, nobody's boring about all this stuff that's going on. Food's just when used for blackmail purposes and coercion when you get your daily rations. And that's going to happen. That's on the cards down the road. And the big boys are going to get richer and richer and richer when they have you in an utter, you know, merciless corner. Anyway, it says, uh, in September, the U.S. corporations Monsanto, pioneer in Dow Agrosciences, presented six applications for commercial plantations of transgenic maize on more than two million hectares. Two million hectares in the northwestern state of Sonola and the northeastern state of Tamalupus. Moreover, in January, these companies and Syngenta, also another company, presented 11 applications for pilot and experimental plots to grow transgenic corn on 622 hectares in the northern states of Chihuahua, uh, Cohila, Durango, and other ones, it says, Sinola and Badger, California. And Monsanto applied for an additional plantation in an unspecified area in the north of the country. Since 2009, the Mexican government has issued 177 permits for experimental plots of transgenic maize. But the fact is, they say, this is for national sovereignty. It's a national sovereignty issue. If you can't own your own food, you've had it. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. Last night, too, I mentioned on the air that uh, about this uh, gang in Oxford, England, that was getting children, young girls, out of uh, children's homes, picking them up there, by the way. The staff all knew it. Police kept away, too, because they're terrified to get involved now. They've had so much indoctrination to do with multiculturalism. And these guys basically said, here, we're from primarily Pakistan. And everyone's terrified of being called a racist now, with indoctrination they've all had, that that these sort of things happen now. So these gangs were picking up young children. They were physically... With hot irons, branding them, folks, for the property, uh, injecting them with heroin because they can import a lot, having connections of heroin, and 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 then send them out as for prostitution, getting six hundred pounds an hour, apparently. And it's um, quite to the story, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a whole litany of disasters and failures for anybody to act from the from the the, the council homes that were for these orphans. Uh, the local government run it. And also to do with the police as well. Uh, and so I'll put this up tonight for those who want to see what happens now with the wonderful system that's been brought in. And also to do with the police chief constable that was in charge of it and the council chief executive in charge of the homes and so on. Uh, they refused, they both are women, I think, and they refused to stand down, uh, and, and, uh, to, and get out of the job. 
normally in one, one time that would happen. Uh, if they're disgraced, but no, they're too much of an ego. In other words, these people are enablers. They helped uh, this, to carry on. They were enablers to abuse. And, of course, their egos are so big, they want to carry on with their big paychecks. Uh, after all these young girls uh, getting branded and addicted to, to heroin and all the rest of it by this gang that ran them as for prostitutes. Just amazing. Just astonishing. I'll put that out tonight, too. And also... A portrait of modern Britain. It says, armed police officers patrol Luton estates to stop dangerous shootouts between gangs. Now, these gangs are primarily foreign. I'll put Wikipedia up tonight. If you get, because it doesn't mention the story here. Again, it'd be all PC. But it says here that, that they're, they're armed. He's in there shooting each other. And it says um, there's different murders going on and so on. As they have reprisals, etc. between the different gangs. Because there's a lot of this for drug territory and all the rest of it. And if you read the article, as I say, that to do with Luton, as it says in Wikipedia, it says, since the 2011 census, Luton has become one of three towns in the UK to officially hold the white, a white minority, very small minority of whites. It was announced in a report based on the census figures along with Leicester and Slough, Luton was one of the three towns outside London where white Britons were minority, making up only 45% of the population. And the rest are from our mixed Asian or, or, or Asian British, black or black British, and other ethnic groups, a lot from Eastern Europe. So this is the what they knew would happen with multiculturalism, and they say we have to go through all of this kind of stuff to get to wherever we're supposed to go down the road, which I think is going to be something like another disaster, to be honest with you. That's the way it seems to be going right now. A lot of folk are suffering like never before. And again, they're not, they're getting, a lot of these gangs are getting off with way too much because folk are terrified to even go near them because the worst criminal or even a murderer can just shout racism and everybody, everybody blushes through their Pelovian conditioning and they're scared of getting fired. So children have to suffer and get branded in Oxford and, and, and get addicted to heroin and be shoved out for prostitution, beaten up, and forced abortions with wires in the 21st century. From Hamish, myself, one, two, a Canada is good night to me. Your God, your gods, go with you. <laughs>